This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. This episode of the Oncogene Brief comes from Chicago, where we report from the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, which was held May 31st, June 4th, 2019. ASCO is the world's leading professional organization for physicians and oncology professionals caring for people with cancer. In this episode, I talk with Anna Proto-Papas, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Mersana Therapeutics, a clinical stage biotech company developing antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs a very specific kind of targeted anti-cancer drug. I also talk with Aliran Malki, the Chief Executive Officer of Belong Life, the world's largest social network for cancer patients and caregivers designed to gain a better understanding of the cancer patient journey with the goal of optimizing treatment and outcomes. And I talk with Dr. Rod Hemmerichhaus, Asset Strategy Leader Oncology at AbbVie, a highly focused research-driven biopharmaceutical company. As a major developer of anti-cancer drugs, AbbVie's oncology scientists understand that outsmarting cancer takes a potent combination of courage, scientific expertise, and strategy. Let's listen. This week, we are at uh, the uh, annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology called ASCO here in Chicago. We are talking to a number of physicians and companies and organizations about what they do in the development of new cancer drugs, cancer therapies, in in many cases for cancers that are very difficult to treat, also cancers that might might not have a treatment option at this particular moment. And there is a lot of research ongoing. We have here about between 30 and 40 thousand uh, oncologists, researchers and physicians uh, roaming the halls and the meeting places here at, at ASCO. And uh, here next to me is Anna Protopapas. She is the CEO of a company called Mersana. And Mersana is, is developing a new um, drug. It's um, an, an combination. It's called an antibody drug conjugate. It's a novel approach to treatment of certain cancers. And her company is busy with the development of a drug for, well, Anna, welcome to the show. Why didn't you tell me what you're doing? Let me start first by describing our approach of antibody drug conjugates. That's when we put our drug on an antibody that goes directly and binds to a protein on the surface of a tumor cell, is drawn into the tumor cell, and it kills the tumor cell on site. Antibody drug conjugates is an approach that has been around for a few years, but we have a highly differentiated platform that allows us to put three to four times more payload, more drug on a given antibody. So our antibody drug conjugates are very potent and they deliver the maximum amount of drug to the site of the tumor. So if I, if I would compare it, I mean, in, in layman's term, and yeah. put it that way, you talk about a, a truck-trailer combination where you have a tractor and pulling a, pay, an, 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 a truck part, right? And in that truck part, there is a drug which is pulled into the cell and, and transported that way. Is, right. that, is that a good combination? That's absolutely. And it is a direct bullet getting directly to the site of the tumor because that truck you talked about only goes 
to the tumor cells, only binds with proteins that are found on the surface of tumor cells and not on healthy tissues. So it's a very powerful way to deliver a drug directly to the site of the tumor. And our approach is differentiated from others because we figured out how to put a lot more payload on that truck, on that antibody, and therefore deliver the maximum dose we can to the tumor cell while sparing healthy tissues. So that's our approach. And let me tell you about our lead program. Yeah, because it's a, it's a drug called XMT1536. I, I assume that that is not a marketable name no. yet, <laughs> but it's, it's a drug that is in, in phase one clinical yes. trial. So that yes. is still early on. Yes. But it is unique because it is trying, you're trying to solve a very important unmet medical need. Right. So this is an antibody drug conjugate using the technology I just described against a target that is only found on the surface of two types of, of cancers, ovarian cancer and a certain type of lung cancer called lung adenocarcinoma. Both uh, cancers, unfortunately, don't have many options, particularly with patients that have progressed on the frontline therapy. In ovarian cancer, which is one of the areas we're working on and where we have very exciting data, patients, once they become refractory to the frontline therapy... That means that they don't no longer respond, right? ...no longer respond, really have very old options. These, there really has not been innovation in this area for decades. And their only option is really old chemotherapies, and they have very poor prognosis. And if they do work on these patients, it's a very small percentage of patients, maybe 10%, and they maybe provide a improvement of two to four months. So unfortunately, these patients are in desperate need of new therapies. So we're focused in that area. The second area is lung adenocarcinoma, as I said. And although we've had progress for lung patients, PD-1s in the frontline therapy have and, and, been... And PD-1s is also a very targeted... A very yeah. targeted approach. So there's been a new advancement in the newly diagnosed patients. But unfortunately, it's not a cure. And once these patients progress, again, they have very few options, old chemotherapies, and we're focused on that patient population as well. So we are in the early stages of clinical development, but we're very encouraged with the data we have. We are seeing, we are what's called dose escalating. So we're starting with low doses and going higher and higher until we can find the right dose to take into larger clinical trials. And we're seeing a very well-tolerated profile and we're seeing activity in patients that have not responded to other therapies. So that's really encouraging. And we plan in Q3 to start larger clinical trials in both ovarian as well as lung and really better understand the profile of the drug in those two indications. But uh, we're very encouraged with the early signs of efficacy. So when you talk about phase one, yeah. I mean, again, it is a very limited population. It's a relatively small population. One of the things that you can conclude from that trial is that the drug is safe in, in, in humans, 
right? And that it can be, it's tolerable, I mean, in that way. And then now what you try to do is to try to find out what's the most optimal way of, of, of administering this drug or what, how patients benefit from that. You said in, in later in the year, you're trying to go to larger clinical trials. Are you showing phase two clinical trials? Well, it's what's called an expansion cohort. It will be a single agent, but we will be studying the drug in about 40 to 50 ovarian cancer patients and about 40 to 50 lung cancer patients. It will be at a single dose because we've already uh, we'll have determined the, the right dose. And it will help us understand the level of efficacy, the full long-term tolerability. And also, this is a targeted therapy. So we will be measuring the antigen, the protein on the surface of the tumor that really is the target for the, for the medicine. And we'll be finding the best population to give this drug to that will have the highest benefit. Now, again, this is a very advanced kind of drug. I mean, and, and we were talking about chemotherapy earlier. This, it is not really an option for a lot of people. This is not a chemotherapy. This is, this is a biologic, as they say, with a chemotherapy element in there. It is, a, it is an antibody, so it's a biologic drug. It binds to a specific protein on the surface of the tumor, as I said, and it carries on it uh, a cancer drug a very potent cancer drug that cannot be delivered systemically. So you couldn't take that drug systemically, but you can, by putting it on, a, on the antibody and delivering it straight to the tumor, you can actually deliver a very potent and, payload. And systemically um, refers to the fact that you cannot give it to a patient without any protection, without right. any, I mean, it yes. would kill the patient otherwise. Yes, right. yes. So that's, a, that's an advancement that you can actually give that higher uh, kind of potent drug in a very targeted delivery. Right. Now, obviously, when people complain about chemotherapy, when they complain about drugs and the treatment option, one of the things that you hear often is about the side effects. I mean, there is not a single chemotherapy where people have problems with because of, of, of the toxicity. The kind of drugs that you have, because it's so targeted, uh, my understanding is that, I don't know if I'm if that correct, my understanding is, is that they have a, even though they may be more, more potent to kill that particular cancer, uh, they may ha have less side effects than other forms of chemotherapy. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, absolutely, because they only go to the site of the tumor. They are um, they're well tolerated. And we've demonstrated in the data we just presented at ASCO that although there are some side effects, mostly some fatigue, some nausea after taking uh, the drug, it's very mild, very well tolerated, and patients, even though the patients we've treated are very advanced in their disease, have been able to stay on, on drug for a long period of time. Also, this is a drug that's only administered once a month. So one dose a month has, uh, is effective, and that also is convenient for patients as well. They don't have to continue to take the cancer drug every day or every week. And, uh, and I think that makes it both uh, well-tolerated as well as uh, mm. convenient. Let's take a break. And then we're back with our interviews coming to you from the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, held earlier this year in Chicago. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is The Youngest in Brief.
Did you know that generic drugs are just as safe and effective as brand name drugs? Generics might look different, but they work the same way. And they can even save you money. Don't believe me? Ask your doctor or pharmacist. Or visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. Each day, researchers make discoveries that bring us closer to the moment when all cancer patients can become survivors. Their progress is made possible with the help of clinical trials. Clinical trials are the brightest torch researchers have to light their way towards better treatments. And if you've been diagnosed with cancer, they may be your brightest ray of hope. Speak with your doctor and visit standuptocancer.org slash clinical trials to learn more. Together, we can stand up for all of us. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. And welcome back. I'm Peter Hoffman, and this is the Oncogene Brief. Now, this is one particular drug that you're developing. Tell me a little bit about some of the other uh, ADCs, yes. antibody drug conjugates that you're developing, because obviously I'm, there are more things yes. there. Yeah. So uh, this is the one that is obviously in the clinic that we're talking about publicly, but we have said that we will be announcing our next molecule in Q4 of this year. That's later this year. So later this year and taking it into the clinic in 2020, we have a platform, a technology that has broad application can be used in many di- for many different targets, uh, many different uh, cancers, and we are exploring those and we'll be bringing additional molecules forward. We're very excited about yeah, where I we are. That. And this is really, our first molecule is really the proof of concept of the power of the platform. And uh, you're also working with other pharmaceutical companies and drug yes, developing yes, companies yes. in using your technology. Yes, yeah. So we have, uh, for example, a collaboration with Merck Serono, and they are taking several programs, they're working with several programs that leverage our platform. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, This week, we are uh, from Chicago, where the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their annual meeting. Sitting next to me is Eliran Malki. He is from an organization called Belong. Now, Eliran, can you tell me a little bit, first before we start talking about your organization and what you're doing, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how, how you got here in starting your organization a couple of years ago? I'm an um, electronical engineer with an MBA in business. Uh, I had a few companies before in the hyper-performance computing and uh, big data services. Some of the companies was acquired by EMC and other companies. And then we start, we, we find me and my colleagues that work together with me that we all uh, lost family members to cancer. And uh, we felt uh, clueless in many cases, although we thought that we chose the, the smartest physicians. We went for the, the right path. One year or two years later, we find that we made a lot of mistakes. And there isn't any clear path. There isn't any way to make le- less mistakes. And we thought, why we don't have ways for cancer? Why to save five minutes in the road to go home or to work where we already know the plan? We use ways just to save five minutes, but to plan our fight for cancer, we don't have. And this is fight for our life. And then we thought about, okay, what we can do to build this map. And we started with Belong. And Belong, tell me about Belong. I mean, it's, it's a website. It's a it's community. 
It's an influence of a lot of different people that help other people to communicate about cancer. Okay, so yes, it's, it's an app. Basically, there is a, a, a platform in the web too, but 99% of the users use it through the app, the iOS and, uh, and Apple Store. We give the patient everything they need to fight cancer uh, from their home, from the mobile, waiting for the IV. They have a, it's a social network with other patients very similar to them. So it will be a multiple myeloma patient that are now on Revlimid drug or doing a stem cells at the moment, not just the multiple myeloma patients. They will be connected to their advocacy groups, to one of uh, several of the 150 physicians and nurses we have, group for nutrition, for sports, for financial toxicity, how to cope with uh, side effects. They have everything they need to manage and navigate better the cancer in one group. Uh, you can see the rating in the apps. It's 4.9. Which is in the app store, which is a pretty high rating. Yeah, especially for healthcare. And, you know, when everyone in the market is fighting in, uh, in the healthcare um, in patient engagement uh, uh, part, they are trying to make the patient get into the app and answer questions and give their data. We are in another place. Uh, users uh, voluntarily get into the belong. They use an, a nickname, and so they are very anonymous, and they can share a lot of data. They get into the uh, system 15 times a month, using it about 80, 90 minutes a, a month. That's a lot. It's almost Facebook, and it's disease-specific. Mm -hmm. And answer questions, give their data just to be better, getting more relevant information for them, and increase our ability to re do research. Now, you mentioned social media, and of course the analogy is there that uh, um, when social media is collecting a lot of information about you, and you can actually draw some conclusions mm -hmm. uh, from uh, the results in social media and what you share, what you don't share. Now, I noticed one of the things, one of the observations is that in Belong Life, the, the, the product that you have, the, the app that you have, it, it did say something very specific about the, the difference between real-world data and clinical trial data. Tell me a little bit about that. We find that clinical trials are usually looking for the perfect patients. Patient without diabetes, patient without any side effect known before. In the certain line of treatment, they will need to come to the physician very healthy. It's like uh, when you look at clinical trial success, it's like mile per gallon in, in the labs. No one drives like that. Mm -hmm. In real life, you can never get to the mile per gallon that you think that your car is. Real patient, real life patients have other diseases in the background. They took in a complementary solution, an alternative solution, acupuncture, yoga, do sport, uh, stop taking the drug sometimes, or because financial toxicity, or because side effect. And we notice in, in Belong today, many patients uh, tell the physician something very different when they actually do. So if they stop taking a drug because of financial toxicity, they will say something else because they don't want to look like they don't have enough money or copay. And if they stop taking the drug uh, last week, they maybe will tell it it's a, they just stopped two days ago because they, they, they want to, to have his faith in them. Now, that, that's obviously understandable human behavior, mm -hmm. right? I mean, nobody wants to look the lesser of, of, of uh, especially when you are talking to uh, other people. But obviously, that is definitely handicapping the individual patient. I mean, in, I mean, they're hurting themselves. How does an app, how does a solution, you, you found the information, but how does it help guide patient involvement? How does it help maybe patient to change their behavior or not to have that um, treatment avoiding process because of whatever reason? Okay, so there is two phases, uh, two answers to that. One is in the app, the, once the patient is anonymous, is feeling very comfortable to share 
the, the fact that he stopped the treatment and what to do now. And other physician can, in the app, that sees that can react, react to him and tell him if it's good or bad and to uh, update his physician. Other patients says that what happened to them and they, they actually support them emotionally to continue with the treatment. When a patient starts feeling a side effect, sometimes they want to just, you know, uh, uh, give up. But they, if they speak with other patients that's been there and, and pass it, the emotional support they get supporting them through that pace. This is one phase. The second one is research. We are researching the data anonymously with, um, with the, um, artificial intelligence that we have in machine learning, and we build trends, and we share this information and research with our community so they can see what's happened to others and what was successful or not successful. Some of the connection between complementary solution and and treatment is very successful, or at least seems like successful, and some seems like um, um, less successful. And they can make their own choice. But research and information in the right time is very supportive that. Now, the research in combination with the information, the, the, the anonymized kind of information that you have, it just might, might be very important for a physician to know that, right? I mean, if you are a treating physician, if you're an oncologist, you want to know where your patients are going through. So how would you say an oncologist, if an oncologist is listening to and they, they know that their patient may be having an app like this on their, their, their cell phone, um, how can you incorporate that information in the way you treat them? It's very interesting, yes. And that's what we do. With a physician that works with us, we give them a, what we call a pump, a patient anonymous medical profile. So, for example, they will know if their, their patient is more likely... Um, it's, it's with the patient need to register for that and the physician. Uh, so the patient knows that he, there is information sharing. Is about his emotional stress in sometimes. Sometimes when the patient is stressed, he is more likely to stop t- treatment. Uh, we are building maps, what we call patient um, disease journey maps. We shared last year in ASCO unoperable pancreatic cancer journey maps. So what will be the first line of treatment for the majority of patients, what will be the second one, etc. And what patient was most, more successful, of course, it's all retrospective of what's happened, successful living for more than two years. And in pancreatic, two years is a lot. That's a long time, yes. Yeah, so once, what, where we are going, our vision, and that's what we are doing now with uh, the uh, leading organization in, uh, in some uh, countries in the U.S. and in uh, Israel where we started, is uh, giving them a decision support information system. So they will see a map, what happened with other patients that you just uh, forward this uh, patient to this treatment and what was the side effect the patient uh, complained and what was working for the patient with this side effect. All comes from what the patient shared in the community groups, um, of course, aggregated and, 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 and summarized. So that has an impact on how medicine is being treated, I mean, being practiced, right? It gives a direct yes. in, impact on the relationship between the patient and the doctor. Let's take a break and then we're back with more. Over the years, you've brought opioids into your home. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But holding on to opioids puts your family at risk. Learn more at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You listen when your body says, I'm tired or I'm hungry. What if your body said something else might be wrong? Gynecologic cancers, cervical, ovarian, and uterine cancers have symptoms, so pay attention. If your body says something may be wrong, please listen. Learn the symptoms. 
Get the inside knowledge about gynecologic cancers. A message from HHS and CDC's Inside Knowledge Campaign. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hoffman and Sonia Portillo. If you're just joining us, this week the Angusin Brief comes from Chicago, where we spent a long weekend during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, to talk to experts and to digest the latest information about the development in cancer and cancer treatments and the most advanced treatment options available to patients with cancer. Now, if you if you look at the future, right? I mean, your 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 organization you're talking about patient powered a patient powered network and PPN. Mm-hmm. Right, specifically in cancer, is that is important. How is this going to impact? How is it going to change the way we look at cancer, the way we look at cancer treatment um, in, in the future? So in this ASCO this year, we have three research that is published. One of them is, for example, on uh, uh, the difference uh, of uh, neuropathic ratio between taxoter and taxol, all in breast cancer women. So the physician can actually choose one of them. If one of them is giving uh, about 60% more neuropathic ratio than the other one, and it's a little bit cheaper, but the, what we are uh, collecting the information is what is the total cost of this treatment. So a patient mm-hmm. with neuropathic uh, side effect cannot maybe drive, cannot walk, needs sometimes a, a wheelchair, needs support, psychology issues. All this cost is because of using specific drug. So what we are building to payers and other information is to see the cost of treatment, the full cost of treatment, another specific drug. And by that, hopefully, we will change the whole way of uh, physician and payer decision. Basically, in Belong, one of the biggest um, uh, difference we are looking on, on treatment in cancer is that everyone treats the tumor in the, in the patient. They radiate the tumor. They uh, give a target uh, medicine to the tumor. We believe we need to treat the patient with the tumor, not the tumor only. Because once you treat the tumor, there is a side effect of the patient, bureaucracy issues and others that he need now to, to do if he cannot work. And if you look only on the tumor, it, it's not solving nothing. And once we have all the information, I'm sure that will be the... the everyone in the world will work like that in the future. Yeah. Uh, earlier in, the, in our interview, we were talking a little bit about clinical trials and real-world data. And you mentioned the fact, well, in, in clinical trials, um, the best of the best candidates are being selected to make sure that the outcomes of a clinical trial will be very positive. Now, another move is that uh, we talk about real-world data. From where you are sitting, what is real-world data and why is that so important? When we started Belong, we, we noticed that every cancer patient we met, from the moment he diagnosed as cancer patient, it changed so much in his life that uh, impact is treatment. So, for example, they stopped taking sugar. They went on alkali diet. They t- uh, took a complementary solution, if it's a cupid uh, or, or, or uh, swimming or anything. They start. They moved their home to ne- next to their children or vice versa, of course. There is a lot of changes. Um, they took loans, stopped, uh, uh, stopped working. It's impacting their emotional uh, life and their capability to uh, manage treatment. We were looking for, and we, uh, we, we find many differences. For example, if you have a background disease of diabetes, some of the drugs will work way better and some not. Since the clinical trial sometimes doesn't take patients with diabetes, they don't know that. And the same is with cannabis. Uh, use Many patients use cannabis, but they don't tell it to the physician uh, in some countries. And it may be work better with the treatment or not. 
it's totally different. It's a different world. And 10 years from now, that will be, we will, I'm sure the clinical trial will have not perfect patient. We'll try to have all their data and behavioral and emotional stress uh, to make sure that we, are, we control that and their success. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. This week, as uh, we've discussed earlier in the program, um, the Oncosine Brief uh, comes uh, from Chicago, where the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology is having their annual meeting. Uh, there are about 30 to 40,000 oncologists, hematologists, and other people involved in oncology are here at this meeting. Sitting next to me is Rod Hummerighaus. He is with a company called Abvi. He um, is, of course, keenly observing anything that is uh, going on in the industry, but also listening to a lot of lectures and a lot of presentations that have been given here at this meeting. Rod, welcome to the uh, Ongusin Brief. Well, thank you, Peter. Yesterday, the day before, today, you've had an opportunity to uh, listen and to uh, see uh, different presentations. What are some of the interesting presentations um, you've, you've seen? What are some of the things that excites you when you look at, well, this is a different way of looking at cancer, different way of treating cancer? What excites you? So uh, I have the opportunity to, to learn you know, and, and to view things outside of my primary focus, which has, is with the venetoclax or venclexta that is, AbbVie is developing in hematologic malignancies. I'm intrigued by the advances we're making in the immuno-oncology space and spent some time yesterday in lectures and sessions focusing on you know, how we identify the patients who are going to respond, understanding the mechanisms of resistance, mechanisms of sensitivity. How do we take this new technology, this new approach, and really apply it, apply it at the personal level. I think in addition to that, I'm focused, I'm really interested in advances in the leukemia space, mm-hmm. and both in the chronic and the acute leukemias. In the chronic leukemias, thinking of how do we address deep responses. And, and, and deep responses meaning really meaningful long-term responses. Responses at the molecular level, so it, minimal residual disease, uh, that and that those deep responses then translate into sustained remissions off treatment. So the the approach in chronic myelogenous leukemia (CML), where there have been great success with the kinase inhibitors, but obviously there's a lot of interest in getting to that deep response, that molecular response, and stopping treatment. And it's, it's an area we've been focused on in the hematologic malignancies at AbbVie for, you know, for many of the last years, particularly in CLL. Now, that's outside of uh, what your company is developing. I mean, it has, of course, relationship to what you're looking at as a company. Um, you're also working very specifically on CLL. I mean, there are a couple of posters and presentations mm-hmm. at this meeting where you present some exciting results. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're very excited about the data we're presenting here for CLL-14. It's a phase three randomized study in previously untreated CLL patients and a subpopulation of those patients who are elderly and, and or have additional comorbidities, you know, other illnesses that make it difficult for them to receive the most aggressive therapies. In this study, we're combining venetoclax with CD20 antibody obinutuzumab and comparing that combination to obinutuzumab plus chlorambucil, a, an older chemotherapy agent. And what we've demonstrated is a significant improvement in progression-free survival 
for the venetoclax uh, obinutuzumab combination relative to the a, an established chemoimmunotherapy regimen. I think the other thing that stands out about the venetoclax treatment arm is this is fixed duration treatment. So limited to 12 months, and then patients discontinue treatment. And what we're seeing is, yeah, it's still early, but a sustained progression-free survival or sustained remission without continued treatment. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is it's in an older population. Normally, when you look at an older population, especially in oncology, it's often very difficult to to treat them. I mean, on one side, you have the pediatric indications and you cannot really do a lot of things because children are long and they have, you want to avoid a lot of the side effects that may have from chemotherapy or other kind of therapies. And then you have the older population on the other part of the spectrum where you can do a lot of things uh, because of the, of the comorbidities and other, and, and often because they're frail, I mean, in many cases in that respect. You mentioned that you see a really good response in an older population. Explain a little bit more about that. Well, you bring a good point. And when we think about the older population in CLL and certainly other malignancies, they've been underserved in, in respect because they cannot tolerate the more aggressive, more intensive chemotherapies. Younger patients in CLL often receive very more aggressive chemoimmunotherapy regimens, FCR or BR it would be you know, typical regimens. The older patients can't receive that. So their their response rates, their disease control duration has been much lower. By bringing targeted agents and avoiding chemotherapy, we can provide the same or even you know, results or better results than you can achieve with the most intensive chemoimmunotherapy regimens for the entire population, including the elderly, those that have significant you know, comorbidities, heart failure, renal you know, uh, dysfunction, et cetera. I think that, that it, it's a big advance for that patient population. We no longer have to settle for second best for that patient population. Right. Now, part of, of um, uh, what you mentioned, you talked about targeted therapies. And, and obviously, over the last uh, five to 10 years, everybody um, is talking about targeted therapies. Everybody is talking about precision medicine, personalized medicine. And, and I think there is still a large question mark, a, a lot of confusion about uh, precision medicine, what does it mean? Targeted therapies, what does it mean? From where you are sitting, when you talk about uh, targeted therapies, precision medicine, for example, what do you mean? Yes, targeted therapy is a term that is thrown around pretty loosely. When I yeah, think exactly. of targeted therapy, I think of a drug that is precise in its action. So venetoclax is a selective BCL2 inhibitor. And so it is very specific to, it binds very specifically to the BCL2 protein, uh, which is pro-apoptotic. Cancer cells often upregulate, overexpress the BCL2 to prevent programmed cell death or apoptosis in response to other you know, traditional therapies. By specifically targeting that, that protein, we can more safely enhance or, or, or improve outcomes that we're seeing. Um, so, a lot of things are considered targeted, yes, and they may have a specific target, but they may have a lot of off-target toxicities in other tissues. So I think it, it's the goal is to have a specific target and have that target be selective to the to the cancer cell. Right. So it, it becomes really something that it attacks the cancer and not necessarily the, the healthy non-cancerous cells. Yes. Now I think none of our treatments are without some level of of side effects. 
But I think the, the goal is to provide a therapy that has a very high therapeutic index where the, where this, the tolerability is, you know, is improved greatly. So we aren't making the trade-offs between toxicity and efficacy. Let's take a break and then we're back with more. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit fda.gov slash besaferx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo. If you're just joining us, this week the Alcazine Brief comes from Chicago, where we spent a long weekend during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, to talk to experts and to digest the latest information about the development in cancer and cancer treatments and the most advanced treatment options available to patients with cancer. Now, one of the things is that if you talk about um, cancer drugs, the, the first question that comes to mind is, is also side effects, is, is how well can patients tolerate things? And then there's a whole development in the supportive care part where people are being helped or are looked at ways to avoid, um, for example, chemotherapy-induced uh, nausea and vomiting or other undesirable side effects. When you look at, at, at the, 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 the chemotherapeutic drugs, but also the biologic drugs that you, you are developing as, as a company, is that part of, of trying to minimize the side effects? Is that included in, in your development process? Absolutely. The efficacy with significant toxicity is not a significant step forward. So we're trying to provide that improvement in disease outcomes and maintain quality of life for the patient. And venetoclax is a great example of that. I don't treat patients today, but we work very closely with our investigators and physicians who are using the using venetoclax. What we hear is that this you know, venetoclax is you know, is well tolerated. That the and the side effect profile that we see is is certainly you know consistent with the the mo- more selective targeted agents you know, that we have today. Okay. Now, this is one particular area of interest for the company. If you look at uh, uh, what comes to the regulatory pipeline, there is a lot of, of new developments for you, com- for, for, for AbbVie. If, um, tell me a little bit about some of the excitement there, but also about future plans um, that, that the company has in, in developing new or new directions within oncology. Okay. So we've talked about the venetoclax, our BCL2 inhibitors program, NCLL. I mean, we've, we've got a, a significant focus in our area of strength, which is apoptosis. And inhibiting apoptosis 
In addition to that, you know, with AbbVie, we have a brutinib, and so we're also focused on the B-cell receptor inhibitors. And so really it, making more advances there and extending the utilization of that, those mechanisms, those, those medicines you know, beyond CLL into new indications. You know, for example, you know, AML, uh, multiple myeloma, and, and, and others, you know, ALL. There's a, there's a long list of, of different disease types that we are pursuing with, with, within those mechanisms. In addition, you know, beyond that, we're focused uh, in two areas specifically. One, looking at targeting cell surface uh, antigens with our uh, antibody drug conjugate program, um, bringing forward some unique approaches there, unique uh, targeting agents and, and unique uh, therapeutics that attach to those antibodies. And finally, we, we also are investigating or studying and moving forward with next-generation immuno-oncology approaches. I think, obviously, we're not the only ones in the industry doing that, but we are, we are looking at novel targets and new approaches, um, small molecules, um, you know, bispecific antibodies, and, and other approaches as well. So we, are, we believe we have a strong pipeline. It, um, we really want to move those uh, earlier agents forward as quickly as possible to, to continue to grow. Now, if, if you look at some of the drugs, I mean, some of the drugs are in very early phases, um, maybe even preclinical phases before it being, being used in clinical trials. Then you have a number of drugs that are in clinical phase one, phase two trials. If you are a patient, if you're an oncologist, a community oncologist that doesn't really have access to a lot of the latest agents, you may be very excited about what you hear, but not everything is immediately available. So if you look at, for example, this particular combination therapy that is being, being presented today at ASCO, if you have patients, what, what are some of the things that you can do? I mean, are there ways to, to help patients get access to that? Um, or if things are not accessible yet, how long would it take? Well, this combination that we're presenting, this phase three study that we're presenting is actually, it's a unique situation. This combination is already approved in the United States for patients who have previously untreated CLL. This came about through the uh, real-time oncology review process that has been implemented by the FDA. So it is, a, it is a way to expedite the review of clinical trial results and bring, bring medicines to patients more quickly. It applies to, to, a, to medicines that have already been approved, so there's a familiarity, and we bring forward a breakthrough you know, outcome such as we have with venetoclax combined with obinutuzumab, the CLO14 result. They, they will work very closely, partner with industry, with, um, and they partnered with us. The review time from our formal submission to approval is roughly two months, and you know, several months earlier than would be uh, typical for a, re for a review. What? So physicians in the U.S. today have access to uh, ven venetoclax um, for frontline CLL patients. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. This year, during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, one thing has become crystal clear. Many of the treatments available to cancer patients today were dreams, unattainable or fanciful hopes just 15, maybe 20 years ago. But they have become reality. But these new therapies and the way we approach the development of new anti-cancer drugs have fundamentally changed the science of medicine. Now, as we enter the era of personalized medicine, Drug discovery and the development of new therapies have gone beyond science. Drug discovery and the development have become an art. 
no longer simply about treating the cancer anymore. Today, more than ever, the development of new anti-cancer drugs is about protecting the patient's quality of life. We are at the end of this special edition of the Oncogen Brief, recorded during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology. For more information about clinical trials and drug development and how new anti-cancer agents are benefiting patients, visit the website of the American Society of Clinical Oncology at www.asco.org. Here you can find more doctor-approved information. For us here at the Oncogen Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners, our sponsors, our advertisers, for your ongoing support. Thanks to your support, our program now has a wider reach with distribution via iHeartRadio, in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange, and in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe via UK Health Radio. And your support has made it possible that the program is now also distributed in Canada and Australia. You can also download our program via iTunes. And you can listen to the Oncogen Brief via Spotify and other streaming media. In Arizona, you can listen to the Oncogen Brief via Independent Talk 1100 KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. For more information about that, check out our online journal, Oncogene at www.oncogene.com. If you want to support our program, please visit our website, oncogene.com, and look for the Oncogene Brief. Here you can find more information in the way you can help us. And your support is really important. It allows us to bring you interviews like this one from ASCO, with experts involved in the development of novel diagnostics and new treatments. If you're living in the United States and want to receive our newsletter, text the word CANCER to 66866, and we will make sure that you receive our newsletter, which includes an overview of the latest news in oncology and hematology. Thank you all, and thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland, and this is the Oncogene Brief. The Oncogene Brief was produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofland, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncazine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949-923-1660 or visit our website at oncazine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncazine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.